Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 107 of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance and founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds, and take a look at a compliance-related topic. First, have you ever considered starting your own podcast? As you may know, I've founded the Compliance Podcast Network, and I'm always on the lookout for new podcasts. If you wanted to consider a new podcast but weren't sure how to do so, take a listen from our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business. And One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Today, Matt and I super geek out, literally going into the weeds to look at management review controls. We do it in the context of a recent PCA. It'll be a report on Deloitte and a podcast that Matt did on radical compliance with Matt Galvin, head of compliance at AB InBev, on their creative use of data and use of data analytics in their compliance program going forward. I know you will enjoy it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, back with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds for a compliance topic. Today, I think we're going to really achieve that goal, even though it's the dead of winter, uh, with uh, looking at management controls, data analytics, and how all that might tie together uh, for the compliance practitioner and the audit professional. Matt, welcome. Hello, Tom. So, Matt, you wrote two really interesting blog posts last week and finally posted another Radical Compliance podcast that we'll all get into. But let me start with your blog post. It's entitled Deloitte Inspection Report Released. And I found this uh, really interesting about some of the challenges that not only auditors have, but those who audit the auditors Mm -hmm. in reviewing work, uh, reviewing uh, assessments made by companies, and testing those assessments. So you want to start us out with that? I do, yes. So I've been intrigued by this topic of management review controls. And just by saying that phrase, management review controls, I know those listeners who are auditors are like, oh, yes, this is so cool. And those listeners who are law school graduates from ethics and compliance are like, oh, boy, let's move on to the next podcast. I promise all the lawyers who are listening, I will show how management review controls are related to good ethics and compliance programs in ways you need to think about. But the PCAOB published its inspection report for Deloitte uh, last week. This is always news because there's only four big four firms, and anytime there's a big inspection report, we pour over them. They looked at 55 audits of Deloitte, flagged 11 of them as so problematic that we cannot assume that the Deloitte reached the proper conclusion. So that was a 20% failure rate for the audits that the PCAOB inspectors looked at. Um, that is relatively low. And of course, Deloitte does many other you know audits. I'm not necessarily beating up Deloitte that 20% of its audits are bad. That's not what this inspection report is about. But out of the 11 audits that inspectors said, you know, these things don't look that good. Seven of them involved management review controls. 
And for those of you who don't know what management review controls are, they are just what the name implies. They are a control to govern either corporate accounting or other operational functions. But um, the control is management reviewing a set of data and looking at it closely and making sure it stays within whatever proscribed rules or zones or areas that they said, we want the data to be within this range. Is it within that range? If it's not, we have an issue. Well, what would a good management control look like or what would it not look like? And I'll give you an example of what the PCAOB flagged as problematic when Deloitte was auditing them. So they were, Deloitte was auditing issuer A. We don't know who issuer A is, except it was a financial services firm. And as part of the, the audit, Deloitte looked at its portfolio of very hard to value financial assets. And the only control to determine that the value of these assets as reported was correct was that um, management would study these reports that confirmed, yes, the values were derived in accordance with our guidelines, and um, we saw nothing else amiss here because these val- these assets don't trade on the open market. You can't necessarily be sure they're worth 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. They are worth what management believes they're worth according to the model that we have. And that's the control. This is within the model. So Deloitte had to audit that control. And what Deloitte did was really just ask the managers, where do these reviews come from? Let me look at your documentation. Let me see the meeting minutes. Let me look at the the approval forms. Okay, you look like you did everything you said you were going to do, so we guess this control works. That's not enough. That was Okay, can I stop you there? Yeah. Because I read that section in your blog post, and it immediately jumped out at me that they are testing whether Deloitte, or excuse me, whether the company actually followed its own guidelines. It's not an independent evaluation of the uh, investment um, uh, made. No, that's that's correct, because there really isn't any way to independently assess the value of these things, uh, because they don't trade on the open market. So the management review is the control. And now we're going to test that management review control to make sure it works. Basically, their testing has management done what it said it was going to do. That's the management review control. And what intrigued me is that as we look to what I call management by dashboard, because that's where business is going at the global level, companies are going to rely more and more on service providers outsourced functions and all that other stuff, and they are supplying data to the parent company. And that data is supposed to fall within this certain range, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to analyze it with our analytics program and everything else. These are management review controls. If you are looking at a dashboard, you are reviewing something, and if you're the manager, it's a management review, and if it's because you're supposed to make sure nothing bad happens, it's a control. Management review control is vast range of things that we're going to be doing here, looking to make sure the systems are working the way they're supposed to. And that really intrigued me because we're only going to see more and more of that in the future. Right? The, the world is not going to devolve back away from cloud-based providers or outsourced arrangements or 
third-party resellers or distributors. See, lawyers, I told you I'd start using the FCPA code words. Here they are. But those sort of arrangements and how you govern them, you're going to wind up governing them by analytics programs and dashboards, and those are management review controls. And we have a lack of, of knowledge and practice at understanding exactly what those are. Are they operating well? Can we audit them well? Can we test them well in the data saturated world that we're in? That's, that's what intrigued me. So does that answer the question, Tom? So it answers it somewhat, but let me see if I could flip over to another example uh, that I certainly bumped up against in my corporate career, and that's where you have a service contract attached to a tangible good. And yeah. in my, my case, that tangible tangible good was uh, uh, a piece of software. Mm-hmm. So you have a piece of software, you have uh, maintenance and support going forward um, that's over uh, expect. Uh, three to five year period. If you're paid annually, it's easy enough to assess and evaluate what the value is because it's the amount you're paid annually. But if you're paid in a lump sum and you're discounted, how do you apportion uh, between those two? And it seemed to me that with the example that you gave, as long as the company had a guideline and followed that guideline, that was going to be acceptable for an audited financial statement. It can be, and this is where we start to get a little squirrely on what can or cannot be. You know, we are we're struggling with what a good management control is. And here's my beef: is that well, where do we have guidance for companies about what in a good, effective management control is? What should it do? How do you design it? The SEC last gave us good guidance on management review controls in 2007. And since then, management by dashboard has become much more common, but we don't really have enough information from the SEC about what is an acceptable management review control if you are the company, if you're the issuer, and you're in an audit, um, either a financial statement audit with your external auditor, or conceivably even if uh, there's an outsider who is auditing your, say, anti-compliance or anti-corruption compliance program. You know, what are the management review controls you have in your program? How were they designed? Were they designed with enough documentation and evidence that you can give them to that auditor to so the auditor can say, yes, this does work. That's an independent evaluation of your control. I think it's good. I think I like program passes muster. What is enough documentation to let the auditor say that? We, we don't have, we have some information, but a lot of people would say that we have stale information about it from the management side. And a lot of the beef around internal control audits and SOX compliance audits and financial audits generally is that the PCAOB pressures auditors much more to be more skeptical about management review controls. Um, some of my favorites are, you know, some of that documentation that you might give your auditor for a management review control is some sort of checklist of you've gone through everything to make sure you followed all the procedures and you've ticked off all the boxes. I know a CFO who once actually got back from their auditor, the tick marks on your review control are not sufficiently tick-like. So we're going to flag this as an ineffective management review control. I don't know what that means. And you you go round and round the rosemary bush with these sort of issues, because we don't have enough guidance for something that is proliferating all over the corporate landscape, because we're moving to this world of IT systems, 
governed by dashboards, which managers review through very good, sophisticated data analytics. Many times, they'll probably be working just as you like, but an independent evaluation of them can be difficult. And that's where I personally would like to see the SEC kind of pull itself into the, the 2019 world, not to 2007 world, with guidance that people would, I know people would love to see fresh guidance on this. Why can't uh, COSO or some other group uh, put out a framework that uh, would ag be agreed upon by some number of people, but also operate as something that the SEC could test against? If we wait for the SEC, uh, it's now 2019, we could conceivably be waiting another 12 years. Uh, we could indeed. However, in our system, for better or worse, the SEC is at the top of the pyramid. What it says goes. And right now, it is only said that guidance from 2007. Um, for those of you who may or may not remember, way back then, SOX audits were still very new, very manually driven with spreadsheets, very contentious, very expensive. I mean, I know that SOX audits are still expensive and contentious now, but we were still inventing the wheel 2005, 2006, 2007. So management guidance from 2007 that the SEC put out was meant to alleviate some of that preliminary SOX compliance pain. Like, the point is, guys, that was 12 years ago. The world has changed in how we manage audits, how we run very sophisticated corporate management systems, the data analytics that we use. Management review controls are crucial to that, and we don't have enough modern guidance right now. Um, COSO, I'm sure, would say that you know they would probably be happy to give you a webinar to show how to apply their internal control framework to good management review controls. They make sense, but until the SEC puts out something that is new and modern, we are going to rely on the last thing the SEC put out, um, which isn't enough. So a lot of times what people do is this reverse engineering of what a good control must look like. If Deloitte is getting faulted for doing this, looking at management review controls, that means I need to change around my approach before Deloitte or my other big four auditor shows up and does the exact same thing. Like we're divining what a good control should look like uh, through PCAOB inspection reports, through speeches, through surveys, through all of this stuff, what we want and deserve is guidance. Um, that's a bit on a soapbox there, I know, but um, that's you, you see that manifest most easily when we're talking about financial statement audits and big four inspection firm reports, or really any audit firm's inspection reports. But I can relate this also over to the importance of good compliance program analytics and controls. Uh, just to make sure that all of our ethics and compliance lawyers out there who are listening, like I told you guys, this does relate to you too, and it does. Um, but Tom, if you want, I can walk you through that too. Actually, before we get there, I wanted to talk about who audits the auditors. Sure. And it, it struck me uh, early on in your piece that the RevRec standard that was audited is uh, no longer applicable. So if we yeah. have our oversight group, the PCAOB, auditing the audit work for a RevRec standard that has now um, gone by the wayside, um, other than sort of an academic exercise to give an A through an F, 
what's the point of taking a look at this? And does it speak to a broader problem of uh, the entire oversight process? Uh, yes, it does, which the PCAOB in its current leadership, they know that. And to be honest, the PCAOB's prior leadership also knew that too. So just to walk people through the timeline, this inspection report came out in January for audits that were inspected during 2018, for audits that were performed uh, by early 2018 on corporate financial data that was done in 2017 or 16. So some of the issues that we are discussing here or that are raised in Deloitte's audit inspection report that came out last week relate to corporate transactions that happened two years ago or more. And including some of them were flagged around revenue recognition, which, okay, that's fine because revenue recognition is really hard under the best of circumstances. Uh, but um, the revenue recognition standard was outdated and replaced at the st roughly about 12, 13 months ago. So a lot of the revenue recognition issues that are raised here are based on a standard that no longer exists. But you know the the broader questions about you know if an audit firm can't audit revenue recognition well it probably couldn't do it under the old standard i'm betting it couldn't do it well under the new standard too but it speaks to this broader long period before we get audit inspection reports to know how good an audit firm actually is um the pcaob says they're going to reinvent the inspection process make it faster more relevant to people um, they've got all sorts of ideas. We won't see those ideas for many months. We won't see them in practice probably until 2020 at the earliest, but they do know that. And people are not wrong to say this is a really interesting description of some pretty moldy audits by now because the financial world moves fast. Um, that's very fair to say. So I guess that's that. it was this last point that made me think that if the PCAOB is moving towards uh, updating, improving, and speeding up their audits, one of the ways they could do so was through greater use of data analytics. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that you talk about in the other blog post we referenced, or uh, which is entitled – which is entitled – the day, day, day. compliance analytics AB InBev, and yes. you really have a uh, it's a blog post based around a, a, a podcast you did, um, and uh, with uh, Matt Galvin from Vice President of Ethics and Compliance at AB InBev, yeah. where they are able to use data analytics in a much more forward way. Um, you want to tell us about that and how all that sure. ties into this issue. So Matt Galvin, who heads up uh, ethics and compliance at AB InBev, largest beer brewer in the world, um, they spent several years building a very sophisticated data analytics program because AB InBev is a highly decentralized organization uh, trying to integrate itself from a huge merger it did in 2016 where AB InBev acquired SAB Miller. Um, just after uh, AB InBev settled an FCPA investigation of its own. So 
settles the investigation, commits to all of this regulatory reporting. And then two weeks later, we're going to go through one of the biggest transactions in corporate history. And now you've got dozens more operating units all with their own data. And you've got to do all that regulatory reporting on all of them too. So awesome. Great time. Um, What AB InBev has done is built a very sophisticated machine learning data analytics program so it can take all of this relevant compliance data around payments, around onboarding of vendors, possible corruption, whatnot. It can analyze all of that data. And that data may very well be in different formats from one division to another, but the machine learning can figure it all out. So you don't need to do as much data harmonization. Matt Galvin said he spent a lot of time on that at the beginning, and now he thinks if someone were doing this today or five years from now, um, a lot of the harmonization work may be unnecessary because the artificial intelligence will be able to figure this out on its own. But they take all of this disparate data, and they can now analyze it very quickly to say, okay, so there is this construction company that was doing kickbacks in Latin America, and they the bribe that they were giving to fix contracts were luxury tickets to the World Cup. Did we, as a beer vendor, ever sponsor any luxury suites that were at those same games in question? Do we have any contamination or exposure to this other company's FCPA problem at all? Now he can look through all of the data, the machine learning will spit it out, and will give them a very short list of possible connections that the team would then investigate rather than send people on wild goose chases at $400 a billable hour to find out that, no, we don't really have any exposure. It's fine. That wasted, squandered effort has been reduced. So they've got more attention on more pressing high risk concerns because the analytics has figured that out. All of this is great. I was really impressed with how Matt Galvin explained it all. It's definitely worth listening to how he approached it. What intrigues me, though, and relates back to what we were talking about earlier with Deloitte, is that really this is a management review control. He sits there with his team in InBev compliance headquarters looking at a very sophisticated and I am sure very impressive dashboard, but that's what it is. So the question, if you are an outsider would be, InBev, how do you know that works right? Because that's what you're doing is you're just reviewing what the machine tells you. How do you know that works right? And I have no doubt that InBev probably has already thought that through and would have a good answer to that question. But many other companies possibly do not have a good answer to that question. Or as you are designing your own analytics program, you'll have to think about this. Because you will need to be able to explain to outsiders, whether they are auditors looking at your anti-corruption program or a business partner that wants to acquire you or do a venture with you or their regulators because you've had a problem, they're going to want to know, how does your analytics really work? Because it's just a dashboard. That's what the human eye sees on the computer screen. It's a dashboard. Therefore, it is very much like a management review control, and you have to think through, how are we going to make this work? Now, in financial audits with the Deloitte's and audit firms and big four of the world, there's already a lot of attention to that because they all already get inspected, and financial statements are about what is material. Not so with anti-corruption. There's no materiality threshold. 
Um, so you have to think through a little bit more that these controls, these programs, these management reviews, these analytics efforts may not get as much attention from day to day right up until something explodes and you have an issue that you're disclosing. Now suddenly everybody is going to be on you like white on rice and you'll have to be able to show that your management review control for your anti-corruption program, that it works well, that it's been documented in the right ways, that people can unravel how this analytics actually works and perhaps gave you a false negative when it shouldn't have or you know any other issues like that. Now, like I said before, Tom, what really just intrigues me about all of this is that these are early considerations now, today in 2019. By 2025 and by 2030, this is what it's all going to be about because the IT is only going to get smarter. The analytics is only going to get better. The systems are only going to get more disparate and we'll only be using more of them, more third parties that you sit in corporate headquarters governing them by looking at what the computer tells you on the computer screen and you're running analytics. There's nothing wrong with that inherently, but how do we make sure that we are governing that the right way? PCAOB is trying to bring that up with um, these inspection reports, and you could ask similar questions as you're building your analytics programs like what InBev did. Um, I think InBev, all evidence I know of, seems to have designed a very good one, but more and more companies are going to get pulled into this, and we're going to have to think about this more. And I don't know that we've got sufficient guidance yet to keep our head above water so far. And that brings up another really interesting point. You touched on it with the PCAOB and certainly uh, with the SEC and their uh, lack of uh, new management review control guidance. But in many ways, it's not simply the marketplace, but technology and compliance programs are now outrunning the regulators. Yes. So how do we get the regulators uh, or the re- so are the regulators just stuck playing catch up now or can they make a leapfrog ahead? Uh I'm going to err on the side of caution and say the regulators are playing catch-up for a long time. I suppose in some parallel universe, the regulators might make leaps ahead and be very astute and forward-thinking. I haven't really seen it that often in the Washington world. Uh, So I think that this is a problem, is that the technology is racing ahead. And in many ways, that's good because most people are going to build very good controls but they may not be entirely in step with the system that comes into being to assess those controls from the outside. Um, you know, clearly, artificial intelligence and analytics, it's great for auditing financial transactions. It's great for managing financial transactions. The PCAOB doesn't have any standard for how auditors should approach that. So you could have two different audit firms in theory – audit the same financial transactions or same company using different AIs and come to a different result. Well, which one is right? I don't know. What if your AI and the audit firm's AI come up with different conclusions? Like, which one is right? I don't know. In 10 more years, these things are going to be smarter than humans anyways. We won't be able to know unless we really think through how are we going to bake principles in today to make sure that we can govern these explosive growth that we're going to see in analytics, in artificial intelligence, in machine learning, um, in very sophisticated corporate setups and very extended extended enterprises. Um, you know, we, we struggle with that right now. 
And uh, even that's when I realized that even though Deloitte and its inspection report and InBev and its analytics are very different things for very different audiences, at a certain level, they are both harbingers of the challenges to come for large organizations. And that's just that's where I, I realized that we're we're talking about the same sort of bigger issue here. And I, I don't quite know that we've got a full grip on that. But that seems like a good ending point for this podcast. It's been a fascinating exploration, and I definitely think we'll be back uh, to visit with this one again. Sure. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Compliance Into the Weed. We link to Matt's blog posts on our show notes on Talking Compliance Analytics with AB InBev and the Deloitte Inspection Report release. Please join us again next week where Matt and I will take up another topic into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.